All right, I'd like to welcome onto the show Dr. Abdu Sherkawi, who's an infectious disease consultant with the University Health Network. Dr. Sherkawi, thanks so much for joining us. It's been a while. Good morning. Thanks for having me. No mystery, people listening, why we'd reach out to you. Um, it's all about the Omicron uh, latest variant. Can, am I pronouncing that correctly? Do we have a definitive on what we're calling this? Yeah, you 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 did uh, certainly uh, label it correctly, and uh, you know it's 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 almost a bit of a you know a point of a, a point of uh, you know a comedy that we're coming up with. Uh, letters from the Greek alphabet, it seems, fairly regularly at this point. But I, I think it's important to try and um, you know, decipher just what the significance of this is, where we need to invest our energies to best protect ourselves here in Ontario, and also what we can do to, uh, just as importantly, effect change all over the world. Because we talk about this being a global pandemic. Uh, I think that term seems to have become a bit numb to a lot of people just because so many of us are very fatigued. But the truth is, it really is a global pandemic. And that means that unless we are enacting strategies that are going to work at regions that are far away from where we are uh, each and every day, we're not going to be ultimately safe uh, for a durable period of time right here at home or anywhere else. All right. Well, you've opened up a lot of places that we can go to in this conversation, that's for sure. Um, I want to start off, if we could, uh, talking about your thread uh, that you put up on Twitter yesterday on why travel bans won't work, because we know there is now a travel ban for five countries in uh, South Africa coming into Canada. That was uh, announced on Friday. However, the two cases that we've uh, found already in Canada of the Omicron a variant are in Ottawa, and they those people came from recently from Nigeria, which is not a South African country. So, can you talk about why you say travel bans don't work? Well, I think that's a, the beginning of of uh, a set of examples we're going to see that are going to illustrate exactly why travel bans are just very blunt instruments that don't really do much effectively to be able to stem the spread of any sort of infectious pathogen that is readily transmissible and may not be that easily to detect uh, in, in real time. And I can understand that there's a real psychological appeal and there's clearly a political appeal to want to do something that seems bold and decisive and to protect your population. Uh, that, I think, is completely understandable, but it doesn't bear out in reality when you think about the dynamics of uh, a pathogen that causes something like COVID-19. So if you just think about it logistically, there's 7 billion people on Earth, and there's millions of, of people traveling on a daily basis. Um, and then you factor in the fact that people are traveling through different countries, and there's connecting flights uh, between a potential source country. If you want to call it South Africa, fine. If you want to call it other uh, areas in, in, in Southern Africa, that's fine as well. But they're trafficking through multiple other countries. They're going to be exposed to countless other people along the way. And by the time people are symptomatic and then later identified as being positive, you've really missed the window of opportunity to be able to stem the tide of an infection. And 
you know, the fact that these countries have been labeled uh, and selected is really missing the the reality that you're seeing this now in multiple other countries. Uh, uh, Nigeria is the latest example. There's no specific travel link identified to South Africa. You've now got cases in Italy, in Germany, uh, in the UK, in Israel, in Hong Kong. Um, are we going to enact travel bans on all of these countries? Are we going to close our borders entirely? Does that make any sense? It doesn't, because the horse is out of the barn. Um, it's clear that this is going to uh, find new footholds in many parts of the world. There's going to be very few parts of the globe that are not going to be affected by this. So a travel ban is not going to work. And there's been no evidence that it worked to stem the tide of the Alpha variant uh, when it came out of the UK or the Delta variant when it came out of the Indian subcontinent. What we know does work is paying attention to the tried and true principles of preventing not only infection, but serious outcomes. And that remains vaccination. It remains the good use of masks, uh, particularly N95 and KN95 masks that, that are better with respect to the filtration quality and being in well-ventilated settings. Those things work. We know that they work everywhere, including right here at home. So let's double down on those efforts and, and do everything we can to make ourselves safe by doing that. But let's not uh, pander to, to political whim or to uh, fear and panic by, by trying to enact travel bans because they will offer no tangible benefit at all. And I think another point that's really important here is we have to be careful about the the disincentivizing that this sort of maneuver uh, will inevitably cause for countries that are being transparent. They're being extremely forthcoming. I applaud South Africa for being as honest as they have been, for sharing their data with the rest of the world. And if the expectation is that you're going to be uh, dealing with punitive measures that come forth by doing so, that really doesn't provide a very good incentive for uh, a country or a particular region to be transparent about sharing their information with others. And we can ill afford to do that if, again, we're calling this a global pandemic. We're speaking with Dr. Abdu Shikari, an infectious disease consultant. We, Dr. Shikari, we were talking on, on Friday to Dr. Furness um, about the fact that um, when it comes to this new variant, the Omicron variant, the problem is, and what people are watching for, is the amount of mutations on that spike protein. Can you speak a bit um, to the fact that, you know, testing has just begun and there will be question marks until this testing has has been completed and what we hope to learn? because And what, what we're missing right now from the knowledge when it comes to this new variant? Sure. You know, I, I think it's easy to look at the number of mutations and just be overwhelmed by that alone. And, and, and we want to be careful to certainly exercise caution and think about the possibility that those mutations in totality may reflect the possibility of increased transmissibility. We don't know that for certain yet. Uh, or that it may confer a reduction in immunity, either in terms of being um, capable of causing reinfection, 
to, to people who've already been exposed uh, and have become immune or, or have been vaccinated. We simply don't have the answers to that. And, and, and we know that the way mutations work is it's not just the number of mutations, but it happens uh, as a result of what is the actual combination of mutations and, and whether or not our vaccines or our immune system are capable of still uh, defending ourselves well enough against that. We don't, we don't know what the, the impact is. Unfortunately, in South Africa, where the caseload was emerging early on, uh, a lot of what was being recognized was probably related to the fact that there's a big vaccine uptake deficit there. And the cases that were um, emerging, especially those that were symptomatic, were largely in unvaccinated hosts. So are we going to see a similar problem bearing out in other parts of the world, including right here at home, where we don't have a similar vaccine uptake deficit? We don't know. It's quite possible that it will not have any significant or severe impact. Uh, we, we don't want to make that assumption, obviously, and we want to remain as vigilant as possible uh, with respect to all of those public health measures I talked about with masking, etc. Uh, but we certainly don't want to be overcome with panic and alarm and say, uh, you know, th this is inevitably going to be something that is less vaccine responsive. Uh, I think it's far too premature to learn that. And I think we're going to be able to know for, for certain at some point in the next few weeks because we'll have a greater level of understanding not only of whether cases become um, symptomatic and, and how severe they are, uh, but also in terms of who it's affecting. Um, people who are vaccinated, people who are unvaccinated, uh, and, and what the profile is of those individuals. So, Dr. Sharkawi, I spent some time this weekend with some very good friends of mine. We're all fully vaccinated. And one of the questions they kept lobbing at me, and I couldn't answer because I'm not an epidemiologist, but I promised them I'd get to this, is what are we thinking as far as um, expanding the eligibility of boosters to fend off potential surges, especially from this new threat? Well, I, I think this is a, this is a challenge uh, because we, we certainly don't want to ignore the reality that Immunity is waning. There's, there's no question about, excuse me, no question about the fact that um, there's certainly enough evidence uh, around the world, particularly when you look at, at older age groups, and, and that may be as, as, as young as, you know, 50 and beyond, frankly, uh, that immunity will wane probably after a period of, of about eight months or so. And if you start adding any degree of medical condition underlying, particularly something like diabetes um, or uh, hypertension uh, or, or any form of lung or heart disease, otherwise, uh, that someone may be at, at, at greater risk of, of reinfection, uh, whether or not it's related to Omicron. It, you know, we've got Delta and we know that Delta can be problematic in and out of itself. So let's not get too consumed with Omicron. I think there should be expanding of eligibility, uh, quite frankly. But I think if we're going to do that, we have to still do it um, in, in a targeted fashion, in a prioritized fashion, starting with those that have um, higher risks from an exposure standpoint, um, whether it's because of their underlying health conditions or the occupation that they may be in, uh, and do it in that stepwise fashion. I don't think that there is... Uh, good evidence or rationale to just open it up to the entire population. And, and I know we talk about vaccine equity a lot and, and mm -hmm. what that means, 
But it is important. I think we have to gain a greater thrust and momentum uh, on a global level to help address the vaccine uptake deficit that exists in much of the world um, where variants are driven from. We, we well, have let me to ask recognize you this. That, yeah. and, and I think you're making valid points, but what about the people that are going to be called back to work? Should we not prioritize those people? Because a lot of office spaces are saying, you know what, we've had this space empty. We need you to come back to work. Yeah, I think that's a great question. I, I guess it depends on the nature of that work and it depends on the uh, environmental uh, uh, controls, the engineering controls with respect to ventilation and, and the design of those facilities. Uh, I think that there's a lot of things that can be done um, that don't necessarily mandate boosters uh, being being implemented that, that can help a lot. Uh, I've been a big proponent of KN95 masks. Uh, I think that they're far more uh, effective and there's a lot of very comfortable forms of these masks that can be worn that are rel- rel- relatively affordable, um, or, and they can be worn for long periods of time. I think HEPA filtration devices and portable uh, HEPA devices can be uh, purchased at reasonably low prices. Um, ventilation may already be you know, retrofitted in, in, in some office spaces. We can do a lot of these things to help make that environment safer uh, for whoever is working on a daily basis without necessarily saying that that boosters are going to do the job on its own. But certainly within that office environment, again, if if the people working fit the profile of of those that may be at at higher risk, by all means, speak to your physician um, and they can write you a letter of authorization. If you don't fit criteria by the letter of the law, I've done so for for many patients, um, and I think that that's perfectly understandable and a very reasonable consideration. I don't have a lot of time left with you, and I'm probably pushing it here, but I wanted to ask you about this. Um, With the new uh, Omicron variant that we're we're hearing about, and I know that the uh, Chief Medical Officer of Health is going to make an announcement. We'll carry that live today at 930 right here in 640 Toronto. what do you recommend for people that had, you know, set their sights on traveling this winter? Do you think people need to start rethinking those plans? Well, you know, I, I, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer. Um, obviously, this gives us pause. Um, and certainly, uh, I am revisiting any travel plans that I may have had. I think everyone has a different level of, of, of caution and their own comfort zone. Uh, I would certainly say maybe wait a little bit. Uh, let's see what happens over the next couple of weeks before we make any ironclad decisions. If you decide you're still going to go ahead and, and do it, I wouldn't say that that's prohibitively risky, uh, but I would certainly say exercise a lot of caution, especially with respect to your masking, um, because it's the whole travel itinerary. It's not necessarily just being on the plane. It's the crowding in the airports. It's you know the, the, the disembarking and, and the rest of that where people may be gathering in crowds and you have no idea who, who's, you know, close to you and who isn't, I would say just be extremely cautious. Dr. Sharkawi, thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate all the time you spent with us this morning. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Stay safe. Have a good day. Cheers. Dr. Abdul Sharkawi is an infectious disease consultant at the University Health Network.